Can I help you? I doubt it. I'm here for the hot wing eating slash wet t-shirt contest. Yes, I'm sorry to say there is no hot wing eating slash wet t-shirt contest. No titties? No titties. No wings? No wings. No titties! No titties again. My name is Hobson Chips, and I'm British. Welcome to Something Crunchy. Tyler is homies with Blake. Blake is the older bro of Blair. Blair is married to Tyler and is a slutty slut slut. Welcome to Something Crunchy. What the hell is crunchy? Welcome to Something Crunchy. Welcome to another special edition episode of Something Crunchy. I'm Cullen Blake. With me as always, Blair and Tyler Dressel. We're still on break, and I want nothing to do with you guys for at least another month, but thought we would check in, drop a sode, and do it with an incredibly crunchy guest on the line. He's a screen actor, stage actor, voice actor, writer, comedian, and producer. You've heard his voice in video games like Metal Gear Solid and Lord of the Rings. You've seen him in movies like Best in Show, Mascots, Get Him to the Greek, The Five-Year Engagement, and Independence Day. He's appeared in almost 100 shows, including Modern Family, Two and a Half Men, Mom, and Family Tree. This man has been working in Hollywood over 40 years and recently wrote his memoirs in the form of a must-read book being released right now called Caught With My Pants Down and Other Stories From A Life in Hollywood. Please welcome the one and only Jim Piddick. Yeah! How are you? (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us, Mr. Piddick. How are you, sir? I'm very good, thank you. Very good. Well, it is so great to have you on. We are big fans of your work. Absolutely love your style of comedy. And Blair has been swooning over your accent all week. So true. Oh, <laughs> how kind of you. Never really understood Americans' fascination with the English accent, maybe because we sound so stupid by comparison. It's just hot. Well, I know. I mean, we're, we're, we're just as stupid and uh, we don't have any more authority. Uh, we just it, 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 Some of us sound a bit smarter, but we're not. We're quite stupid. Well, you certainly have the ability to pull it off. I, I know not all English accents are created equal. Perhaps it's Rochester or Kent in general, but you certainly do have an ability to make anything sound immediately charming and sophisticated. Yeah, And that's why I'm an actor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you grow up in Texas, not so much, so we're, we're very jealous. <laughs> and we're very eager to hear some stories and as many details as you can share from Caught With My yep. Pants Down and other tales from A Life in Hollywood. This is available today, March 23rd, right now on Amazon. Before we get into it, what inspired you to write these memoirs and put these stories on paper? Well, it started um, a few years ago. I was asked to do, I think probably four or five years ago, I was asked to do an evening by the Screen Actors Guild called Inside the Industry, Let's Talk About It. And I was interviewed in this 200-seat theater by uh, a Wall Street uh, entertainment reporter, Wall Street Journal entertainment reporter, called Eric Schwartzel, and basically it consisted of me being interviewed for an hour and then doing Q&A for half hour. And I think we went, we ran, ended up running about two hours. It was really fun, and I didn't prepare anything. I just basically uh, told stories, and I thought this is the best way to communicate what uh, my, uh, you know, what working in the industry is about, uh, and, and an entertaining way, rather than kind of a dry, academic kind of talk. So I did that, and um, I found myself kind of really enjoying it. I hadn't been in front of a live audience for a number of years, and I thought I came away thinking, well, they liked it, I liked it. Uh, maybe I could do a one-man show and just sort of play myself for a change and, and kind of just stroll on stage and tell the stories and interact with the audience. So I started writing this and uh, very quickly realized it was going to be, I was coming up with so much stuff, I realized it was going to be a 10-hour show, which I thought might stretch the patience of, of most theater audiences. 
So I then thought, well, I'll do it as a book and then maybe I'll whittle the book down later. Um, and so I just started that when we kind of hit this thing called COVID. I don't know if you've heard of it. Mm, this thing. I think I've heard um, of it twice. Yeah, it's, it's apparently it's, it's quite the rage <laughs> for a while. Um, so that happened. And then, you know, we were locked down. And, and, and my other infinitely better half and I, Annie, um, we, we decided we were going to be quite strict about it. We didn't really want to get ill. And um, so we kind of hid away here in the Hollywood Hills. It's a lot of H's. And um, <laughs> I finished the book. It what would have probably t- taken me five years. It took me five months. And it was a perfect time, actually, to look backwards because um, I, I just sort of was entering my early 60s. And um, it, was, it was a kind of a perfect time for me to stop uh, for once, having gone, gone, gone for 40-plus uh, years in the industry and then go okay instead of looking forwards as i always do or right in front of me i'll just look back and assess where and what it was and what it's been about and it was quite hard actually i mean i, I enjoyed some of it but it was much harder than writing screenplays or teleplays the time he definitely is right and these hollywood memoirs are very hot right now this is an intention grabbing title is it literal a metaphor both <laughs> Yes, it is an attention-grabbing title. <laughs> uh, we settled on this after a few other, you know, ideas. Uh, it actually came from, uh, a, it was one major story in the book, uh, which is a small chapter, uh, which which reveals how I was caught with my pants down in a very public and very embarrassing situation. Um, and, and there actually were two other instances, I can't realize. There was one in a, a medical office, which went wrong, and um, another... In uh, the south of France, where uh, I was caught with my pants down in a strange situation. <laughs> so uh, it, it was it was based on real stories, but also I thought it was quite a good metaphor for uh, my whole sort of life and career that <laughs> that I spent my life getting caught with my pants down in terms of you know being exposed as a as an actor. You are, and also I felt like it was about, not just about me. I mean, the book is as much I hope about what I see and have observed. So it's about other people getting caught, or me pulling their pants down and revealing who they are. So, yeah, it's uh, yes, it is a catchy title. It is, and relatable, very funny. I think it's going to do well. Your book is said to reveal what really goes on behind the scenes in the entertainment industry, and we want to know more about this. Yeah. Let us sample a little protein. Are there any stories from within the book you think our listeners might enjoy? I know we'd like a taste. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's one, one chapter in particular... Uh, which was based on something I actually did years ago on Facebook. There was this phase of this fad on Facebook of people saying, here are 10 bands, nine I've seen, one I haven't. Now, I thought that was insane because, first of all, I could know you really well and I wouldn't have a clue what bands you've seen and what you haven't. And I didn't care. So I sort of put a twist on this and I said, here are nine, sorry, here are 10 A-list actors I've worked with. Nine I loved. One was a... Oh, I don't have to use asterisks. In the book, I use four asterisks. <laughs> the word was uh, beginning with C and ending with T. Oh, yeah. So um, 
And that was the one thing the publisher said, I think we have to probably do not have that. It might reduce sales a little bit. So anyway, that's the word, the missing word. And then I did, by a process of elimination, it became, it got quite a bit of a reaction and it became like a a bad, cheesy reality show thing. (laughs) And I kept eliminating one person a day and explaining why I liked them very much or whatever. And so by a, a process of elimination, the person was revealed at the end. Um, and that is really the, uh, the kind of... Um, I, I, there are three people I totally eviscerate in the book. Three people. And, um, a, a, and one of them's dead, so they can't sue me. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the, the other two are very much alive and very much in the public eye, actually. They are... Um, quite well known. And, and I didn't feel bad about that because A, I was being brutally honest with myself. And, and I'm often the, the kind of butt of the, the joke in, in, in this book. But I felt like if I was going to be believed in my praise for certain people, um, I also had to, uh, I had to be brutally honest about people who behave badly and call them out. Now, I, of course, I wouldn't have done this in my 20s because I wanted to have a career. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, I, by, by the way, I also wouldn't have had anything to write about uh, in my 20s, so that would have helped. Um, but I, I, I did that because I felt... I, I, just, I really am a, a believer in uh, people not behaving badly in any work situation, whether it be show business... Or, um, or any work of life. And, and I'm at an age and a point where I can call out bad behavior and people don't get too freaked out by it. Um, if I'm on a set and I see something, I don't make a big fuss about it. I just quietly say, you know, that's really not the way to do it. And, and generally it works. Um, so anyway, I'll tell you who the 10 people are. I'll give you a teaser. Yes, yes. Yeah. This is the Thank fine you. line about talking about your book between teaser and spoiler. The 10 are... Michael Caine, Angela Lansbury, Anthony Hopkins, Sharon Stone, Tom Hanks, Morgan Fairchild, Sasha Baron Cohen, (laughs) Naomi Campbell, Kevin Hart, and Faye Dunaway. Oh, my God, what a list. Damn it. And I have worked with every single one of them and acted with every single one of them. And uh, it was very interesting, people's voting, uh, because uh, nobody got it. I mean, no, it's, it's not true. People did get it, but it wasn't the majority of votes. Oh, that's there a was tough somebody one. who, by far, the most vote who was not the work person. Who got the most votes? Uh, I'm trying to think who got the most vote. Well, I, if I tell that, you see, you're going to eliminating one person, but I can tell you that um, I, I can eliminate one for you. Uh, who do you think person who got the most votes was? Well, I know uh, it's Faith. not Michael Caine. Like I can only <laughs> work by process of elimination. Well, there you go. And I, know I don't want to eliminate. Too I know many. it's not I mean, Michael Caine. Well, who would? Who in their right mind would say Tom Hanks? I mean, seriously. Yeah, that's Everybody true. knows he's one of the nicest guys in show business. Part of me kind of wants to say Sharon Stone. Okay. But part that's of me also guess. wants to say Naomi Campbell. Yeah, there's another good guess. Kevin Hart. Because when you worked with him, he was like... That's my guess. ...peaking in terms of his comedy, and I think that his ego is way bigger than he is. Um, Anthony Hopkins, Sir Anthony, no way. Oh, no, no way. way. Morgan gonna... Fairchild, get out of here. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Morgan Fairchild. This is so She's hard. A yeah. Um, Faye Dunaway. Faye Dunaway. Oh, she, no, like we love I know, Faye Dunaway. We love... There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people in there with reputations. 
Damn, and there are people awesome. who you think might be, you know, they, they're, you go, oh, they're really like that. So people were kind of overthinking it to a degree and second-guessing themselves. Yes. I'll um, be overthinking but, it all but week. The truth is, but the truth is, in the book, I also talk about people who have bad reputations and unjustly. Uh, and, oh. and in my experience, that I had a great time with them and I found them the opposite of what I was expecting from what people said. Oh, so love that. Uh, there you go. So that's, that's one, what, one chapter. Um, there's also an audition story, uh, which is extraordinary. Um, uh, it's absolutely extraordinary. When I was a young actor, I auditioned for a, a well-known show and a well-known uh, star in the show and the, the, the creator of the show. And it, in the book, I name all names, by the way. This okay. is why people are responding to the book. I'm not doing what I'm doing now, which most biographies do, is they tell the story but don't tell you who it is. So in the book, these people are all named, oh. and some are shamed. <laughs> but anyway, I, 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 went into this audi- I went into this audition, and um, I, I was a young actor. I was probably around 30. Um, and there was all sorts of British people in there, because it was a British role. And there was one guy in his 60s. Um, and I went in my turn, and um, I started, uh, you know, introductions, fine, fine, fine. And the star of the show was there, which was, in, uh, and, and then the, the writer-producer was at his desk. And he's a very well-known person who, who's also a performer. And, um, <laughs> and I started the scene, and as I started, the writer-producer at the desk put his feet up on the desk and opened a newspaper, so I was completely obscured from his view. Oh. So I did the scene with the main guy who was supposed to be seeing whether I was right for this role or not, and not watching, just reading a newspaper. And I, I, I was so stunned. It, it sort of threw me for a second. But fortunately, the other producers and the star of the show were listening and watching my reading with the casting director and occasionally laughing. So I got through the scene. But I walked out and I was absolutely fuming. I thought... It wasn't even passive aggressive. It was aggressive aggressive. It, it was such an odd thing to do. Yeah. And I don't know whether it was trying to bait me into doing something to try and get a reaction. Mm-hmm. But either way, it was incredibly rude. And I, I went back to my car. And as I was going to the car, I looked back and the older actor was now coming out. And he was bright red in the face and clearly distressed. And I knew him a tiny bit. And I went back and said, hey, is everything okay? And he, he was almost in tears. And exactly the same thing had happened to him. Wow. The minute he started, the newspaper went up and the feet went on the desk. And, and I thought, this guy is either the biggest asshole in the planet, A, or B, the biggest fucking asshole in the planet. <laughs> I mean, it, it was astonishing. And I, I reveal who that is. Now, you're may, you may be thinking that this book is all a you know, string of dissing people and being bitter and uh, sour grapes, but it isn't. And as I say, I only really give it to three people with all barrels. There's a couple I give with a single barrel. <laughs> mostly mostly it's, um, it's fun tales, funny tales, uh, amusing tales, and self-deprecatory. Oh, God, that's a hard word. Self-deprecatory. How do you say that? Self-depre- Self-deprecation? Self-deprecating? Yeah, deprecatory. Deprecatory. Ooh, Whatever. One. one of them. <laughs> you make it sound great, so yes. we'll go with it. <laughs> we'll go with what you said. Self-deprecatory. <laughs> Self-deprecatory. Oh, God, so I can't, I can't that, that should it's have been, been a long day. It's been a long week. <laughs> 
And it sounds like you defend um, a lot of people in there as well. Do we get any background stories on particular projects and popular roles? Oh, yeah. but it's, uh, All the major ones I've been in, you know, Best in Show, uh, the story of how I ended up in that and how we ended up shooting. Uh, Fred and I are in that movie for probably 25 minutes, <laughs> half an hour at the end. You, you of- shot it in so one good. day, right? We shot it in one day, and and I explained how and why that happened, um, and and what an extraordinary experience it was. Um, So there's there's stories about that. Um, Obviously, Lethal Weapon 2 is my first ever film. Um, There's stories about that. There's stories about all Independence Day, um, all all the major stuff that I've done, Um, and and some. If there was a good story, some of the minor stuff I've done. I mean, there's one one chapter um, called A Rafter of Turkeys. And it's kind of about all the really, really dreadful films I've been in. <laughs> um, and there was three. The, the reason I, I, I did that, because there were three in the space of about a year. And I it was literally in three of the worst movies of all time in, in the space of a year. And, um, I mean, we're all in some of them. Uh, but I actually had fun on a lot of them. I mean, crazy stuff. I mean, one of them was uh, a film... Uh, called Who's Your Caddy? Um, Loved it. Starring Big Big Boy. <laughs> yes. Big Boy was in it, the the, the rapper. Um, Lil Wayne, uh, Faison Love, Terry Crews, Tony Cox, Andy Milanakis. It was, Sherry Shepard was in it, uh, Jennifer Lewis, uh, James Avery, Jeffrey Jones, all these people. And it was absolutely mental. It was mental. <laughs> Je- Jeffrey Jones and I, it was basically a, a, a caddy shack with a black twist. It was a okay. young black hip rapper wants to join a very white stuffy golf club. And um, Jeffrey Jones is the kind of owner of the, the golf club. The white I'm stuffy the owner of the golf He is perfectly casted Exactly. For that. <laughs> and I'm the, the sort of guy, the hapless uh, manager who's trying to keep the peace. Um, so it was bizarre because Jeffrey and I are both from theatre backgrounds. And we would show up on set uh, at our call time and be ready, uh, makeup, hair, trailer. Okay. Ready to go. And no, one would be there. And we'd wait <laughs> and we'd wait and we'd wait. And they'd eventually show up one by one, sort of shuffling in two, three, four hours late. <laughs> and big boy on one occasion was two, two days late, two days. <laughs> oh late. my gosh. He'd gone to Vegas without telling one. Oh, something no. he had to do there. So this went on. I mean, the shoot was supposed to be about I don't know, six, seven weeks. And it was in, um, I think it was in Georgia. It was, it was in Aiken, was it North Carolina. Anyway, it was, um, it was a lovely spot, uh, but we were shooting in the summer. This was a golf movie. And it went over so long because of all these stoppages that I remember shooting the last scene and it was snowing. We'd gone through autumn, and we were now at the beginning of a very dark winter. And we were shooting with snow coming down on the golf course. So we had to kind of stop while the snow fell because it didn't quite match the summer shots. Um, and, and I just, it was the most bizarre experience. How the director didn't have several nervous breakdowns, I don't know. <laughs> also, the hotel we were staying at was run by an English guy of Indian descent and he was so thrilled to have a film crew there but there were no rules <laughs> I had to leave the hotel after about three days because there was literally partying 24 hours I mean they would get back there all night there was the drinking and the drugs and I mean I've never been a drug person 
I like the odd drink now and again, but this was mental. There was one guy <laughs> in the cast who was an ex-bodybuilder, and I never spoke to him on or off screen, and I saw this guy every day. <laughs> I never saw him or spoke to him at breakfast, at lunch, at dinner, whenever, when he wasn't completely off his head. It, it was d bizarre. I mean, this was this was how it was. And Andy Milanakis, I don't know if you know who he is. Oh, yeah. Um, madman. Madman. <laughs> Funny as hell. But, uh, <laughs> I so can believe it. It was, it was kind of like a throwback to the old days of when, you know, movies like Caddyshack and all those club men, all those movies were being made. And drugs were prevalent in Hollywood yeah. uh, and bad behavior. And I, it just wasn't for me. I mean, I, I, I had a job to do. Uh, as did, there was about four or five of us that were, were kind of like old school. Yeah, I can uh, imagine movies. working in that kind of atmosphere and actually being productive and putting forth a good effort there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the weird thing is, though, I watched the film recently and it got voted like the... Uh, it won several sort of bad worst film of the year awards. <laughs> and... Um, and and it won the most offensive male character in a film award, which, which wasn't mine, by the way. Um, and uh, it, it, but it got slightly rehabilitated because Bill Clinton did an interview, and they were asking him about what he likes to do and watch and films, and he said that his favourite comedy was Who's Your Caddy. What? <laughs> So I don't know. I think it says more about the ex-president's taste than the film. But, um, <laughs> but I think we all knew that. Uh, but but uh, it, I did watch it again about I don't know, four or five years ago. And I've got to say that in the comfort of my own home uh, with a glass of wine, I laughed out loud several times, as did <laughs> Annie, my other half. She'd never seen it before. I'd spared her. And there was some really outrageously it's bonkers it's madness but it is quite funny i have to say okay let's play out this it. scenario book is a huge success netflix or hbo calls and says we have to make a series out of these stories they want yeah. your help to cast the actor portraying jim piddick who do you like for the role well well, I think it's pretty obvious, isn't it? It's got to be Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was going to be my first guess. I mean, uh, if she's not available, then I would settle with Jackie Chan. But beyond that... You've put some thought into this, I can tell. <laughs> yeah, it's, beyond that, it's me. <laughs> That's the right answer. It, it would it'd have to be. Yes. Though I, I have been told, there's an actor called Alan Ruck, who's now in succession. You may know yes. uh, Alan Ruck. Of course. I... Uh, I've been told by many, many people that we are doppelgangers, and I met him once, and um, there is a real similarity. But I've literally been, people have come up to me and started saying, hey, Alan, how are you doing? And then when I start <laughs> speaking, they look completely <laughs> confused, going, why is he putting on a weird, bad British accent? In <laughs> um, your dramatic but, but, roles, you can especially see it, too. There's like a little Gary Oldman and a little Alan Ruck. That's the, yeah, that's the other one, Gary Oldman. Mm -hmm. That was when uh, I did a film uh, with Naomi Campbell, who's on that list. And, and she walked into the, the makeup, makeup trailer on the first day, and I'd never met her. I was in the chair getting made up. And she just opened the door, and she went, Oh, fucking hell. You look just like Gary fucking Oldman. And that, and that was basically our introduction. Um, but, yeah, I've heard that. And when I was younger, look, I got a little Brian Ferry. A little but, Brian uh, Ferry, okay. I don't know who'd play young me. That would be interesting. It would be interesting. Yeah, I, I would like, I would think Alan Ruck as well, but he's, I mean, I, I think he's... Like your age. Yeah, like, about the, about the same yeah age. He's, I think he's close to my age. He would just be like the American yeah. version. 
I think I've got to play it. I'm sorry. That's the right answer. You've written much more than this book, and I just rewatched Mascots, by the way, which is full of excellent writing. It's fun, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Tell us about your writing process and how these memoirs differed from writing screenplays and other projects. Well, uh, screenplay writing is a craft, as is tele-playwriting. It's a craft more than anything, and I learned that craft when I started writing 30-something years ago. Um, and this was more like proper writing, doing this book. Uh, so it, it was. It, it's much easier for me to, to craft a screenplay, and I can write that in usually, you know, four to six weeks, uh, wow. and that add on some research time onto that. But um, yeah, but so yeah, it's definitely a different process. And then obviously with the Chris Guest films, um, there's a, a large amount of it is improvised. So people always say, you know, I get interviewed by the press, and they say, well, it must be the easiest job in the world, right? Writing an improvised movie, right? <laughs> and you, both Chris and I, just go, actually, it takes longer. Yeah. And I, I can bear testament to that because I think Family Tree mascots took probably five months, six months to write. Wow. Uh, the out, we do very, very extensive outlines. We draw the kind of whole movie out, plot it out, cast it, do character biographies, suggestions of lines, uh, a, a roadmap for every single scene, where it goes, how it gets there. Because once you get there on the day, the actors literally are left to come up with whatever dialogue they want. And they will often <laughs> use the suggested lines here and there. But that's what gives it that documentary feel and that spontaneous feel. And often the first take is the best one because of that. Yeah, because of that, you have to have a really good safety net. So, I mean, the best parallel I can give is, is, is really being an anal retentive, planning a journey across the country and literally writing out every place you stop, every, you know, the mileage, where you go, where you eat, where you stay what the price is there and, and it's just it's just absolutely completely detailed and then you let the actors drive the car that's pretty much my analogy for what we do you know and some scenes are more written and structured and some are less so like for example in best in show um they pretty much just said you know this character who is a bombastic um joe garajola type guy who, who actually knows nothing about dogs and makes uh, they suggested a couple of inappropriate things you might say, and then my character was you know a British very knowledgeable um, straight man basically you yes. know? And, and then it, that wasn't an, an awful lot more than that and and so they trusted Fred, who is prepares meticulously uh, and writes himself loads of jokes and has tons of notes that he hides from everybody, and then he goes and it's like. You know, you just try and keep up. Uh, and in my case, in that film, it was uh, very much reacting rather than acting and um, trying to mine as many laughs from that as he was getting <laughs> from being such an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> that back and forth was certainly epic. Oh, yeah, we're great together. In you, Christopher Guest, in these films, this is one of the best teams ever assembled in comedy, in, in my opinion. I won't ask yeah. you... 50 questions about Best in Show, but I did hear that you did have to do some extensive research on dogs for this role, and you found the world of dog judging to be a little fascist and unfair. I did. I did. I, I, uh, I was doing a show in England at the time. I, was, I wasn't in it. I was writing and producing this sitcom with uh, Mark Addy and 
believe it or not, Lee Majors. Wow. Um, and, and an actor called Alex Jennings. It's called Too Much Sun. And I was kind of running that show. And um, so I had to fly to Vancouver in the middle of an episode to shoot for three days. Um, so, uh, so what was your question again? <laughs> 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 or did you to do a lot of research on dogs for the role? And did you find oh, yeah. the dog oh, judging? Oh, yeah. There we go. That's where unfair. I was leading. Um, sorry, it's really, it's, it's been a long day. Um, so I, uh, I, I, every night before I went to bed in London when I was doing the show, after I'd finished with the sitcom, I would force myself to read an hour of this book called The American Kennel Club kind of Bible thing. And it was so boring and so so fascist, you know, this dog cannot have a third vertebrae here or it will be disqualified of not being a purebred there. And it was just, oh, for God's sake, eugenics is just awful. Uh, and so, but I did know by the time I got to Vancouver, all I had in my artillery was uh, an extensive knowledge of dogs, way more than anyone needs in one lifetime. And, uh, and then I kind of met Fred and... Eugene and uh, Chris that first night after I'd given my notes on the sitcom on the Monday morning, flown straight from Heathrow to Vancouver, had dinner with them. Uh, they sent me out of the dining room for about 10 minutes while they talked to Fred about things he was likely to do and they didn't want me to know. <laughs> so I would react spontaneously. And then they told me, Chris said, well, we're running behind, so we won't be shooting three days. We'll just do Wednesday and Thursday, so you have Tuesday off. So I was delighted because I was so jet lagged and then got to Tuesday night and they said, we're still running behind. So we're actually going to shoot on Thursday. And so we got to Wednesday night and then I uh, got a call saying, ah, we're still behind. Is it okay if we shoot Friday? At which point I have to say, I've got to go back to see the run through on the Friday of my show in England and watch the taping of the show in the evening. So we shot all our stuff in that, that Thursday uh, from, I would say, dawn to dusk, but it was pre-dawn to post-dusk. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So all in it one day. 12 hours, I think, straight day. in an empty stadium with a few extras behind us to make it look like it was full. And then uh, um, Chris would run footage of what they'd shot on the screen of the dog show because they'd already shot that. Or he would say, okay, now we'll move on to the hound group, so and go. <laughs> and off Fred would go, and I would chase afterwards. I also heard there was a great riff on anal sex cut from the movie. There was, yeah. <laughs> Why would they cut such a thing? Yeah. I wrote a piece on that for the Writers Guild magazine, um, The Importance of Anal Sax. Um, <laughs> anal Sax, S-A-C-S. Uh, I had a riff in there. Most of the time, I figured uh, that I would you know, really just be, be, be get most of my laughs by reacting and, and, and let Fred do that and, and not try and compete with that. But then I thought it would be kind of nice to go on a long, very detailed explanation of how dogs can get anal sacs <laughs> and just try and turn the tables a bit and leave him speechless. And so I did this long thing <laughs> about that. And Fred, of course, reacted brilliantly to it um, um but but i think chris quite wisely decided it would sort of upset the chemistry a bit yeah and that it was working so well and he he edited it so brilliantly to have my kind of arc of being mildly amused at first mm -hmm. and surprised by what fred was coming up with then kind of confused and bemused and rather just like well i've got to keep this on track because this guy's a complete idiot and then um 
and finally becoming annoyed. And then, I mean, uh, at the end of the thing was where I finally got to the long-suffering straight man, where he says some another appalling thing that's, uh, you know, just ridiculous. And I just turned to him and say, yes, I remember you said that last year. I love that line. <laughs> I and love that just, line so much. It was, you could almost hear his balls hitting the floor. They were, just, <laughs> they were snipped off, uh, and that was it. Um, so that, that yes. That, but, but Chris was, the editing, I mean, he shoots about 60 hours. Wow. 60, I think 70 hours, and has to whittle that down to, Hour in the half, films, 88 hours, minutes. Yeah. Wow. You know, wow. Like so hard. Minutes. Such good really improv. Are. I mean, stuff that you love gets cut, but that's the process, and it becomes the best soundbite. Yeah, I was going to ask you, so how often, like, these epic riffs or an improvised sequence gets cut in the comedy films, but when you have 60 hours, there's going to be a lot that you remember that you don't see in the final cut? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I don't, I'm trying to think about the, the, the DVD cuts have the, the missing scenes. I think it would just be so much that I don't think they ever did them, but I may be wrong on that. I'd like to bring um, up another missing scene. I mean, again, sometimes there's comedy gold and some of the funniest shit yeah. either doesn't make it in the film or isn't usable because someone breaks, like in the five-year engagement. That, <laughs> that blooper with the pastry, the gonorrhea, <laughs> was priceless, um, Mr. Piddick. It was disgusting, wasn't it? But it was oh, hilarious. God, we laughed so hard at those takes. You broke Emily in that scene. Um, I did. I, I literally... <laughs> I broke Emily Blunt. You <laughs> broke <laughs> Emily Blunt in there. She, she's still broken. I, I broke her. Uh, we, it was my first day on the film. And uh, <laughs> I'd already disgraced myself before I even started work because I, I knew Judd Apatow a little bit and Nick Stoller. Um, I'd worked with them both before, but I didn't know them super well. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I should be telling this story. Please it's really, oh, you have it, to know. It, 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 it's not in the book either. Yeah. But, so it's a freebie. Um, <laughs> it, it, I, we were discussing comedy and you know where it was going and where, how it was changing and just having this sort of slightly uh, cerebral comedian's discussion of comedy, which for outsiders could be really fascinating or incredibly boring. And I said, very straight-faced, I said, well... I think that we are going to see blackface return because surely we are post-racial now. We are post-racial. And that blackface will become acceptable. And they looked at me. I think my, Jason Siegel might have even been there. And I think Jason got it fairly quickly. They, the other two, they looked at me like I was insane. And then they just saw the twinkle in my eye and were like, oh, you fucker. <laughs> So I'd already got off to a pretty shaky start. But then we did this scene in the hotel, well, not the, the hospital cafe. And I am telling my daughter um, about one of the reasons I split up with her mother was, and Emily's playing my daughter, was because uh, I gave her gonorrhea from uh, contracting it with one of the many Asian women I had had affairs with. <laughs> and in the movie, every scene you see me in, I have a new Asian girlfriend. <laughs> a new I did um, every single scene. There's a new one. And, um, and half my age. Um, so as I'm, I'm doing this scene, I'm, and I'm having a little bit of trouble getting through it because Emily and I immediately had that weird thing that some people have where you can't actually look at them yeah. because you're going to burst out laughing. And yes. her more than me, to be fair. I'm a bit 
better, but she just literally couldn't look me in the <laughs> eye when I was talking without laughing. For whatever reason, I made her laugh. And then Nick Stoller, the director, made a, very, a fatal mistake by saying, um, can we just ad-lib something where, because I was eating this horrible big bear's claw, crusty kind of, um, you know, icing thing donut, and I was kind of devouring it. And he said, why don't you reference how the, the kind of, the don't the, the, what you're eating to how gonorrhea looked or looked, oh and it was like I knew this would never end up in the movie. I just thought this is crazy. It, it, it so so tasteless. I loved it, and I was stuffing this thing in my mouth. And first of all, just me eating that donut was making her laugh because I was just uh, really stuffing it in. And as you've, you've seen the outtakes, uh, that I, I presume you've seen that. Yes. Video, yes. Uh, and it's just literally we never, ever get a take where, where we can do it, get through it. We never got a take. We never no, got one. Ever. Her, her face breaks every time. I get it. I do the same. Has uh, anybody ever was, broken you like you broke Emily Blunt? Uh, it's rare, but I, I have. Uh, I've broken myself, which is really sad. Really? <laughs> really sad. So it was in a mighty wind, I remember. A mighty wind. I played this really? kind of slightly nerdy character who uh, who's into model trains and uh, sells catheters for a living. And there was a scene where Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara, I played Catherine O'Hara's current husband and Eugene plays her former husband. They're rehearsing this kind of beautiful song that they're going to do in this concert. Yes. And I'm sitting reading the newspaper, reading a book uh, and cracking open uh, nuts. Very, very, um, uh, I think they're pistachios, very noisily <laughs> and, and, and with and other nuts with crackers. And, and it keeps like interrupting them, their rehearsal. And I'm just happily reading this book, but I'm also wearing... Those horrible, do you remember those running shorts in the 1970s that were like... Oh, of course. They, they were horrible. <laughs> All visibility, no support. Exactly. So I was wearing those and sitting with my legs wide open. And I dropped, <laughs> I dropped one of the nut nuts into my lap and it disappeared into inside the shorts. I'm cracking myself up now thinking about it. And I couldn't, I couldn't, Chris really liked this, but because it was so appalling and I would fish around inside the shorts, <laughs> this nut, and I couldn't do it without, without cracking myself up. And I don't think again, we ever got one. Well, maybe we did, but I think then Chris had the wisdom to go. This is just so awful uh, that it can't end up in the movie. And actually, I'm not sure the scene does. I can't remember. Uh, it, it was actually a very funny scene. Um, oh, boy. I still crack myself up. It's so sad. <laughs> oh, what I would do to see all these outtakes. Do you have a favorite oh. ensemble cast? You worked with so many wonderful people. Was there one? Uh, well, I'd have to say, all, with all the Chris Guest movies, that, that I'm in that spot to be Such a fun cast. They're the best improvisers in the world. I mean, I'm not overstating that. No, you're no, not. Great actors, too. I mean, they're all good good actors and a lot of writers too. And you can see that in their improvisation that they can see where they're going and they've got, a, they're very creative in, in seeing how they can pursue a line in the scene. Um, well said. So I, I'd have to say those, but I've been in so many great 
casts. You know, I, I mean, when I did Noises Off on Broadway, uh, I was in the first production of Noises Off. That was a fantastic cast, you know, and that that, that was memorable to me. And then another show I did on Broadway called Present Laughter with George C. Scott, uh, which he directed, mm. was an amazing cast. It had like Nathan Lane and Christine Larty oh, and Kate Burton it. and Dana Ivey. Um, you know, and so that was a brilliant cast. And then, and then Noises Off, we had Dorothy Loudon, Paxton Whitehead, Victor Garber, Deborah Rush, Amy Wright, Douglas wow. Seal, Linda Thorson. It was a fantastic cast. It was really, and I've probably forgotten someone, but, but it, it was... Just a, a Brian Murray, yeah, not Brian Donner, no, Brian Murray. So it was a lovely ensemble. So I've, I've been in, lucky and blessed to be in so many ensembles that were, were really great. Well, there's a rumor that uh, you turned down the opportunity to be a French magazine's sexiest man of the year. Now, you and I have this in common, but have you turned down <laughs> many of these? Um, that was a rumor. <laughs> <laughs> that was a rumor. <laughs> there was also a rumor, and there's a chapter on this in the book that I wrote uh, the screenplay for uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> I was going to write it. That was announced publicly, and, and uh, it was all over. It literally was on 200 entertainment. Uh, oh, wow! Wow! Uh, based on a joke, a bad joke I made on <laughs> Facebook, I think. And um, I had to make a public statement um, to say it was actually a terrible joke. And I've never read Fifty Shades of Grey and don't intend to. Right. And I have zero zero experience in bondage or sadomasochism. <laughs> um, you know, I wrote the fucking Tooth Fairy. <laughs> from me. Uh, Nothing wrong uh, by with the way, we rumor. dropped we dropped that. When that film came out, they dropped the fucking Tooth Fairy. It just became Tooth Fairy. As a family film. Family film. <laughs> you were going to catch a wider net with just yeah. Tooth Fairy. Yeah. No, that was a wise call. Well, you mentioned yeah. tastelessness, and we love to go there. Uh, we, we like to spend five minutes or so on a game with each guest, and we just have the perfect game for you, Mr. Pittock. One of yeah. our most popular, in fact. So you have a filmography a mile long. Tons of projects, and the adult film industry loves to make parodies out of popular films. They've made mm -hmm. several based on movies or shows you've appeared in, in fact. <laughs> I'd like to give you a couple titles, and you tell us which one is a real porn parody and which one is completely made up. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> tell us which one really exists. Okay. Start off easy. <laughs> Breast and show or genital multiplicity? And one of them's real and one isn't? One of those is real and one isn't. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, I love both those titles. I'm going to say that genital multiplicity is not real. Ooh, Breast and Show is correct. Yeah! <laughs> He's on it. Okay, nicely done. You get where this is going. Yep. Franklin does bash or Bonnie does two and a half men. <laughs> Franklin does bash or Bonnie does two and a half men I think Franklin does bash is real two for two wow. <laughs> he's a pro <laughs> well how do you do two and a half men unless you've got a little person exactly <laughs> you it figured happen. it out There's you know, or, or a man who's somewhat very un, 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 under uh, I didn't yeah. think about that. That's perfect. That's even better. Yeah. It can be done. I'm sure yeah. that something has been made in this realm, but Bonnie does two and a half men specifically. 
was made up. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're on a That's I'm two for two, which two for is, two. is, is a horrible reflection of my, uh, <laughs> the fact that I've probably seen half these films. This is great. Modern family orgy or family treesome? <laughs> Modern family orgy is real. Three for three. Wow. I, I was totally oh, going to yes. go the other way. <laughs> wow. No, I don't go the other way. Um, <laughs> Wow, is that it? It's three for three. Three I, for I'm three. Yes. We're halfway there. Killing it. Okay. Oh, I've got more. You got more. And you were in both. What about Dick and Lucky Stiff? There's just a lot there, and I'm sure left alone, <laughs> we could find something Absolutely. in the industry. So some of these were easier than others. All right, where do we go from here? Let's see. Big City Peens or Teenage Mutant Ninja Titties? Big <laughs> <laughs> What was the first one? <laughs> Big city peens. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he likes it. Or teenage mutant ninja titties. <laughs> I'm taking this way too seriously. I'm actually really <laughs> thinking, thinking so about, hard this hard. about this. I think the first one, big big titty greens or big city titty. What was the first one? Big titty. That <laughs> one's real. It was that big mutant, city... teenage mutant isn't real. Wow, you fell into a classic trap here on something crunchy. Typically, anything peen or ween related is going to be made up. Yep. You're forgiven for not knowing that big city peens was made up. You have missed your first one here, but we oh, have, God. you have two left, and I have complete confidence. You're in you. still very oh, impressive God. right now. <laughs> You're doing so well. Yeah, this is a blast. All right. The five-year engorgement. <laughs> <laughs> or get him in the Greek. <laughs> oh. oh, wow. <laughs> I think the five-year engorgement is fake. Oh, you are correct. I made up the five-year engorgement. Get him in the Greek is real. Well done. Now, thank you. This is very impressive. Four out of five. Four out of five. Fantastic batting average. This is a great batting (laughs) average. One left. I feel good about it. What do I win? Oh, what does he win? A crunchy. (laughs) You win the crunchy award. We we give out awards every year. All right, last one. The golden member or in rear endings day. What was the last one? In Rear Day. I think that's fake. Wow. I could not make up In Rear Day. In fact, they had a tagline, which I thought was pretty funny. In Rear Day, in the end, we all come together. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I, I'm going to, I love these. You've got to send me, got to send me those. They really are funny. I They're will really do. I'd give you my email now, but then a million people have got it. You could say it now and I'll cut it out. Oh, okay. It's... Yeah. No oh, that's fantastic. You know, uh, <laughs> just quick, a quick, a quick story. Uh, it, one of the stories I tell in the book is the terrible jobs I've had before I became an actor. So good. When I was, and one of them, when I was at drama studio on Sundays, the Lord's Day of Rest, um, as a, <laughs> having grown up a Catholic, uh, I worked in a sex shop in London. Wow. And um, it was called Lovejoy's. And I, it was near Paddington Station. And my job, I had to sell this stuff. I was on my own in the shop. And I learned how to demonstrate the vibrators. I had to learn which was, you know, the two speed, one thrust, one thrust, two speed, three thrusts, one speed. Sure. I knew all the technology. And I had to all the, also show them the, uh, the, the blow-up dolls. So it was like yes. one hair, three, three hole, one hair, two hole, two hair, three hole, one. No, no. Awesome. And, um, but the worst job... 
This is awful. Uh, at the back of the store, there were these movie booths that were coin-operated, and uh, people could watch dirty movies at the back. The arcade. And my job at the end of the day, of an evening, was, yes, you guessed it, I had to mop the floor oh, with a mop. No. <laughs> this is amazing. I was the wiper of semen. Um, <laughs> it was appalling. And, uh, the, but the people that ran the shop were really lovely people. They weren't sleazy at all. And they found out, they found out that I had a degree in English language and literature from London <laughs> University. And they were appalled. They were appalled. They said, you cannot work in this store. We are transferring you right away. Next Sunday, you're starting, you're going to run our bookshop in Victoria bus station which is right near Victoria Station. And it's this tiny little shop, and I did run it on Sundays from then on. And on a, the, the, it was a schizophrenic shop. The front half was things like Joseph Conrad's Nostromo, Thomas Cardi, Return <laughs> of the Native, Charles Dickens, you know, okay. Great Expectations, Jane Austen, all classics. the classics. And the back was all porn. So there were titles <laughs> like Bend Over Bunty and No Ifs or Ands, Just Butts. It was... <laughs> It was the schizophrenic store. Uh, so that's, that, but, but your game made me think of those book titles. And none of them, oh, by the way, so were good. on my English course at university. No. <laughs> I'm, well, then the game was perfect yes. for Jim. And I'm glowing with pride. That is yeah, excellent. Yeah. And you have really come a long way. I will never forget that fun fact of work you used to do before acting. And that, that's fantastic. Well, uh, people said I could have come a long way then, but you know, that's <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love him so much. Well done. That's a, that's a whole other story. Uh, yes, I. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it, 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 the, there is an element of um, the cheesy element of rags to riches that uh, that, I, that I did. I did arrive in this country with a hundred dollars in my pocket. Well, there's a reason and why that I story two, always. Now works. I have two hundred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, before we let you go, what is new with the Crystal Palace Football Club? Uh, wow, they're going through a great time. Yeah, I mean, I've been so involved with that club. Uh, I started the Supporters Trust in '99 and helped save the club with a bunch of other people. Sure did. And um, I'm very close to the current owners, and uh, they're just in a halcyon days. It's uh, I think ninth season in the Premier League, and they've now become an established you know, international club, and the people know them. I mean, I have a flag flying in the Hollywood Hills, a Crystal Palace flag. I moved into this house uh, almost 12 years ago. And when I first put that flag up, because I'm not a flag person, I thought I'm, I can't do anything nationalistic. I'm going to put a palace flag up there. <laughs> Everyone would just be like, what, what is that? What is Crystal Palace? Uh, just wouldn't, had no idea. And now I go for a walk and everybody I pass is like, hey, I saw Palace drew with Man United last weekend. And, oh, uh, so, hey, so do you think they'll uh, do you think they'll get higher than 11th this year? Or you know, everybody's like, and people come now from England, and some some people have had their photo taken with me by the flag. But it's lovely. It's, I mean, because the game has taken off in the last 10 years in terms of the Premier League, and Palace have been a part of that. But people now, I mean, I wear my Palace tops or whatever. You know, I'm going out a lot of the time and. Uh, I'm such a nerd, football nerd, um, and 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 people, you know. I get, uh, the other day there was a, a this young woman delivered my groceries to the car. Uh, so I'm still on the pandemic sort of schedule of doing that. Right. And she was probably 20, I don't know, around that age. And she saw my top and she went, "Oh God, they were so unlucky against Spurs. I thought that they were had that game in the bag." And she was talking about the game, and I thought, "This is amazing. This is." 
when I came to this country, no one knew soccer. Is that a soccer? What is that? You put a sock on? I mean, what are you talking about? It's growing in popularity very much so everywhere in, in the U.S. as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's huge now in, in this country. Well, it has yeah. been so great having you on, uh-huh. Mr. Pittig. Thank you for having me, and um, it was a real pleasure. It was lovely to, to do something a little different. Likewise, and obviously everyone go check out Caught With My Pants Down and Other Tales from a Life in Hollywood and give it a read for the rest of these stories. It is available on Amazon right now, and there will be a link conveniently placed in those show notes. Um, a large portion, this is my, get a violin out, play some good music under this. <laughs> a large portion of any problem profits I make from the film, and I mean a very large portion, are going to two charities. Which ones? So the charities are BAFTA's Access for All program in the US, British Academy of Film and Television Arts, which provides uh, opportunities for um, young people in underprivileged areas to engage in their creative instincts and uh, find some sort of a pathway to maybe making a living in show business. And... um, the other one is the Palace for Life Foundation, which is Crystal Palace Football Club's uh, charity, their, their foundation, which is obviously separate from the club. And they uh, do incredible work in South London, uh, keeping kids off the streets and turning them from kind of going into gangs to playing sport and uh, engaging in other activities. And, and, and so don't buy the book for me, buy it for the kids. <laughs> for the kids. <laughs> for the kids. That, well, that is yeah. awesome. And it is great to know links for both organizations will be in the show notes as well. That's great. Thank, thank you, you so again. much. Likewise, thank you again so much, Mr. Jim. It was a sincere pleasure. So we can't much wait fun. for the book, and hopefully we get the chance to talk again sometime. Wonderful. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Take care. Good stuff. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. How fun. Wow. I can't wait to read this book. Yeah, this is going to be good stuff. I'm excited for our signed copy to get into the mail. (laughs) He hasn't sent it, and we haven't asked him, but I plan to. (laughs) It's expected. He was all about our porn game. game. He loved the game. I'm so happy that he liked the porn game. Yeah. He was impressed with my made-up porn parody title. He He fell into classic Blake traps. He fell in the classic peen trap. Yes. Should have known. It happens to me every time. You guys wouldn't have fallen in that trap. Well, Blair would (laughs) have. Tyler would have seen that coming a mile away. Good stuff. Oh, he was so much fun. What is like a cool guy? I know. Jeez. I want to drive in a car made of his voice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, new dream car giveaway over at 8080. In addition to the 15% off you get for using code CRUNCHY, you get entries to win for a brand new Lamborghini Huracoon, plus 60,000 fun coupons. You can buy a shirt and win a Lambo. You do not want to miss out. Nor do you want to forget to check out SomeToCrunchy.com, where you'll find every episode, our links for social media, and the Almighty Crunch store, where you'll find all kinds of crunchy gear showing that you are a proud citizen of Crunch Nation. Then there's the Some to Crunchy Facebook group. This group is the shit. Y'all are funny as hell. I don't know where you keep finding gym after gym, but I'll stack our meme group up against anyone else's. Yeah. Sweet memes. Sweet memes. This has been another episode of Something Crunchy. And as always, don't ever forget to live your crunchiest life and be crunchy to one another. Don't forget to subscribe, like, follow, and all that crunchy good shit. Thank you for listening. I had just come back from a business trip in Thailand, and about 10 days later, your mother started to feel unwell. And this particular strain can only be contracted in Thailand. 
As oh you know, your God. mother has never actually been to Thailand, um, so she naturally blamed me. Who else would she blame? Are you going to finish that pastry? No. No, I mean, Tom and I were so completely different. I think this is a little bit stale. I hate to say this, but this does look a little bit like gonorrhea. <laughs> I hate to say this, but this does look a little bit like gonorrhea. <laughs> I hate to say this, because I can't really eat the rest of it, but this does look a little bit like gonorrhea. <laughs> 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 it's I see your eyes, James. I'm fucking acting. <laughs> Don't breathe for me. <laughs> Nope.